It's been one year now that we've been dealing with COVID-19. The World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a global pandemic uh, about a year ago last week. Uh, so this hour, we're going to take a look at how our lives have changed over the course of the year with uh, some unique guests with some unique perspectives. Uh, the next of which we've had on the show several times uh, is no stranger to to our show and our conversations um, and has quite the perspective of COVID-19 as an intense care doctor at the Royal Alex. We have Dr. Darren Marklin joining us. Dr. Marklin, good morning. Good morning, Chelsea. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for being on with me. I know we've we've chatted a lot over the course of the year, but I want, if you can, to kind of go back to the beginning, if 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 you're able to do so in your mind. Um, I know a lot of us have tried to just block the last few months out, but when did you when did you first hear of the virus, and were you really concerned, or did it take a little while before it to sink in for you? I think. What I remember was I was, this is going to sound horrible, I was skiing in the mountains and it was uh, Of course New you were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. I had a beard on at the time because we didn't need to wear a 95. Um, and I, I saw the first news report of this new coronavirus in Wuhan, China, which had been associated with an outbreak of severe pneumonias. And at that moment, I thought, oh, God, this is the beginning. Um, and that was well before it spread. Um, I don't remember the first case that came here. Um, I remember kind of the, the feeling that we just knew it was going to happen after that. But when, when that news report came out, I thought, yeah, this is, this is something to remember because the world's going to change. And yeah, has it ever, you know, did you anticipate that it was going to be something that we'd be dealing with for, for quite this length of time? Or did you think, you know, maybe a couple of months and then we'll get a handle on it and it will leave us? Oh, no, no. I knew if it got out of, if it got out of China and, uh, and it did, uh, that, yeah, we were going to be battling this for a long time. Uh, that's the nature of something this you know this significant this severe something that can affect anybody something that's airborne that's you know we got lucky in the fact that it wasn't killing us faster how do you think that it's changed the atmosphere of the hospital environment because i feel like people's attitudes have really changed so much over the course of the year i remember personally myself having so much hope for humanity at the very beginning thinking we're all going to really come together and we're going to come out the other side of this more connected and and you know more unified and i don't know that that's really been the case has that been something that you've seen exemplified in the hospital environment Oh, in the hospital, definitely. Um, you know, when when you go to war, uh, you always have to make sure that your buddy has your back. Mm -hmm. So I I think it's amplified in the hospital situation. I definitely know that uh, you know we we really started to appreciate the heroes that we didn't really notice before. You know, like the cleaning staff. Um, uh, all the environmental services, infection control. We never knew who those guys were before. And now, you know, they're the, they were the ones who were making sure that we were safe. And even though there was kind of this baseline frustration, you know, once we started seeing uh, the numbers and the fact that we weren't getting sick, uh, it became really, um, it just was poignant to know that the system worked. And as long as we all did it, we had to all do it because the weak link in the chain was the reason why people were falling down. And so that really, that connected us. 
what did that do for your for your work schedule and the the hours that you were putting in? I mean, I laugh when you say that you first heard of the virus while you were skiing because we've talked to you so many times. I know that you're someone who has you know a real. Uh, a need to prioritize work-life balance. You're very active, bike riding, canoeing, cross-country skiing out in the community. So, you know, work-life balance for you, I feel like you have tried to get a handle on it. But, I mean, realistically, you're you're probably putting in a lot more hours and experiencing burnout, at least to some degree, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think um, everyone's mental health has taken a hit. Mine has, too. Um, and, you know, everyone deals with it differently. Um, you know, some people take up hobbies. Some people, you know, eat a little bit more or cook a little more. I mean, my reaction to it was just to amplify my physical activity. I, I lost 10 pounds. Uh, I think I'm significantly bolder, but I don't look that hard. Um and, and there were stresses in our relationships. I didn't realize how much energy my family was putting into my mental well-being, hmm. you know, until the cracks started to show in the foundation, right? Like, we, we went through some serious trials, and, you know, having supportive partners out there was a huge reason why I survived 100-hour work weeks. You know, I wasn't coming home. Like, there would be times where, you know, the only time that my wife knew that I was sharing the same bed with her was that the sheets were wrinkled because I'd come home late and I'd leave before she got up. So what's what's the mental strain of something like that been like? Is it just kind of a blur, like kind of a fog over the last year for you? I've, I've told you before, my, my wife is a developmental pediatrician, and she has a real good perspective on this when she when she talks to, you know, her clients who are kids. And, sure. you know, the human body w- was meant to deal with stress in short and defined periods. That's how our stress response works. And COVID has been an example of a prolonged stress response, and it's been damaging. Um, you know, nobody... I don't think anyone is better off this year. I mean, some people have survived. Uh, we definitely have more triggers. Like you hear the term resiliency and in this together and people want to fight. Um, and with the coming of spring, it's even, I've never seen spring fever like I have this year. You were giving the forecast out. It's warm, it's sunny. People want to get on with their lives and I yeah. get it. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're looking for a new hope and uh, it's close. It's very close, but it's, not there yet. Do you worry about where that spring fever is going to lead us? Because I know exactly what you're talking about. Every time that I've been out in the city, it's so nice even just to see people. But I'm wondering if we're so hungry for it that it's going to, uh, you know, that it's that it might backfire. Not necessarily in, in you know, more people getting COVID, but in other ways. I mean, is that concerning? Uh, yeah, well, it's it's going to be. Yeah, it is. Look, every time you call me, I'm kind of like the nanny, right? And one is like, <laughs> oh, have fun, but not too much. Or, you know make sure you do it where you wear your helmet and do up your skates but it's out there right like um you know and we're li- it's two things we're, we're going into spring um so outdoor activities are safe and all you know we saw our numbers naturally decline during summer because people were spacing uh so there's a little more of a buffer than there was when we were going into the spikes in in winter but people are out there people are doing you know are not following the guidelines uh they're cheating uh and um the people who are 
you know, following the rules are getting pretty angry about it. And so, you know, factions are setting up. It's really interesting just to listen to the debates on social media about vaccines. The fact we have them is great. The fact that there's four of them is great. But now people are arguing about it's not having fast enough. Should I pick this one? These ones are made this way. You can tell that people are just on edge. And like I say, I think we're super close. Uh, the variants worry me, but we haven't seen them take off like we saw them take off in the UK. So it's it's just this race to the finish, and there's always kind of an interesting ending. And I'm hoping that uh, just like you get to choose your own ending, we choose the right one, and we get into summer fully vaccinated, and we're good. Yeah, I I think we're all definitely hoping for that. You joke about, you know, kind of being the nanny on our show. And, you know, I I, I take that with a grain of salt because you're also someone who is just so, you know, generally optimistic, um, especially given what it is that you do and what it is that you're seeing every single day. Has that perspective changed for you over the course of the year? No, I am. Look, when it comes to COVID, um, I know... I know more people died than they had to. Um, I, I know that it was it was bad, but it could have been so much worse. The thing that completely restored my faith was every time you know, like even when the advice was contrary to what everybody, what science was saying, you know, Edmontonians did the right thing. They were concerned about their fellow citizen. I've I've never been you know, more comfortable about knowing that, you know, this is a good city by knowing how everyone looked after each other. But it comes with caveats, right? Like, we could have done things much better. We did have good information. Uh, We had poor political leadership on this. And now, you know, it's become very clear to me that the reason that these things happen isn't just COVID, but the underlying social problems that we now have to tackle. And man, everyone's so tired from this, it's really hard to bring up the, you know, the underlying disease, which is, you know, social disparity. And, you know, you got even to start talking about climate and people will start rolling their eyes back, mm-hmm. but you can't self-isolate from melting ice caps. So, yeah, yeah, I'm keeping my head down too, and I want to get over this. But I also realize that, you know, the world has to be a different place because this virus happened because um, of the things that we were doing, how we were pushing really hard against the natural laws and so be it i i want new my children to be safe and i want to see grandkids who live in a safe world and all those things revolve around taking the next step to being better people and a better civilization well said one last question from me dr marklin were there any um patient interactions that you had this year that really stand out to you that you'll that you kind of remember from the last year oh god yeah <laughs> yeah I mean, um, uh, there's always patients who, who you connect with when you don't mean to, uh, and they're either because they remind you of, you know, your family or yourself or, you know, you just, they resonate with you. Um, I remember very early on, I, I had a couple, two beautiful, you know, um, people who both were doing all the right things and they both got COVID and uh, when he, he was too short short of breath to actually call uh, 911. His wife did it for him. Uh, and then he wouldn't get on the ambulance and made her go because she was sick too. Uh, and I remember looking
looking after them. Our nurses put them in rooms beside each other. And, and you know, when the time came for them to be intubated and have tubes put in, you know, they watched because they'd always done everything together. And when he could no longer do it anymore uh, and the family realized that he was dying, we brought them into the same room. And even though they were both heavily sedated, uh, she actually took his hand as he as we took the tubes out and as he died. And what was even harder was as she progressed, she knew where she was going next. And, you know, I don't, I'm not a superstitious man, but she lost her will to live after that and joined him three days later, knowing the exact same sequence. Our nurses put them in the same room in the end. They, they turned heaven and earth for those two people. And in the end, even though they died, their their family took it into a better place by turning his their memory into a scholarship for for people and in their names. So even though it was heart wrenching, you know, these people who lived and made these horrible decisions about their parents tried to make it a memory that would benefit future generations. Oh wow, and just you know, just one, or I, I suppose two stories in in a year full of ones too similar to that one. Dr. Markland, thank you so much for making the time. Really appreciate our chats every time that we do speak. And thank you so much for your work, for your continued work and your positivity and your resilience. I'm sure that we'll touch base again soon. One day we'll have beers on patios and not feel bad about it. <laughs> Heck yes. Hopefully sooner rather than later. <laughs> Take care. Fingers, fingers crossed. Bye-bye. <laughs> Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.